0: Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul. Some 41, 30 seconds from Mars. Oh, and two-door cinema club.
2: Welcome to the Hornets Hivecast, the official podcast of your
1: Charlotte Hornets. Here's your host, Sam Farber. Welcome to another edition of the Hornets Podcast, your Hornets podcast with all the notes, quotes, and daily buzz around your favorite NBA team. I'm Sam Farber, and it is a pleasure and a privilege to have you back with us once again on the HHC. It is our off-season series continued, kind of hit the doldrums of the NBA calendar. Free agency madness has come and gone, so is Summer League, so is the draft. We're awaiting training camp, but there's still some newsworthy stories that are Making their way to the top of our lists, and so we're going to dive into a couple of those here today on the Hornets Hivecast. Back with me once again, we've got my producer on the Hornets Radio Network, Rob Longo, as well as from Hornets.com, Sam Perley, and gentlemen. Today we're going to tackle a couple of topics. One, Miles Bridges does not seem to be getting the respect he deserves from either NBA 2K or NBA.com for his dunking prowess and his uh, recent run. Is uh, you know, gotten him high on some list, but not high enough, in my opinion. So we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the Hornets top play tournament. But first, I want to talk about win totals because uh, many of the experts out there have started to put out their picks for how many wins, not just the Hornets, but each and every team in the NBA are being projected to take home. Hornets have been somewhere in the 36 to 38 range. I feel just like last year, just like the last couple of years, quite frankly, that is a little low. We're going to start there with win totals. I'll toss it to Rob. Longo first. Rob, A, what do you think about the uh, experts putting the team in the high 30s essentially? And B, where do you see the team finishing in terms of wins and losses based off the schedule that's come out?
0: Well, I'm glad you're going to the optimistic person first. Just before we were recording this podcast, it seemed like I was the most optimistic here. But, you know, last year, the experts in the desert kind of had a similar situation where it was a lower win total that the Hornets easily exceeded. I think it's going to be the same way this season. I kind of went through this schedule and just kind of pegged it just based off of the way the schedule sets up and the way that the Hornets were able to play some of these teams last season, albeit it is a much different roster going into this season as well. I have the Hornets at 45 and 37. I got Charlotte at 34 and 26 at the all-star break with the best month coming in November. Which is a 10 and 6 mark. His Sam, your reaction to Rob's prediction,
1: as well as your reaction to the experts putting the team somewhere in the high 30s, based Monthly. off what I've
2: read. I'm a big fan of Rob's detail. I mean, he's got it broken down by month, post All Star game, you know, pre All Star game. It's almost like he went, did you go game by game and just I I did. win this I one? I just, just went W's, W's and every L's. Every single one of them, and whereas some of us just picked a number out of the air. The last two seasons have been kind of odd in the sense of like you haven't played full 82 games he played 66 maybe 67 the year before this past season 72 so that's a lot of games the Hornets just haven't played so who knows to what extent they would have gotten to that full 82 game number I want to say maybe last year if they play 82 games maybe they get to what do we think 35 36 I think they ended with 33 so I think my prediction right now is I think north of 42 I think they're going to be over 500 this year I think just factor in you know 82 games is a long time and you know we've talked about in the past couple podcast that the team has gotten younger this year a lot of these guys i mean james book now played 15 games last year in college you know kai jones did not play a lot of games in college like it's going to take i mean playing 82 games Lamelo ball did not play 82 games last year played 50 something so i think that A young team it's going to be challenging but i think getting north of 40 and getting over 500 and getting into that you know five six seven seed area i think is is really realistic and feasible for this team
1: yeah i think you know one point you brought up with how young the team is it makes it very susceptible to injuries because unlike some more experienced rosters who do not have a lot of rookies if someone gets hurt it's not that you have someone as good waiting to replace them on the bench they're, they're just not that's the nature of the beast but you do have someone who has likely been in the NBA for four or five maybe ten years in the case of some of these really older teams now there's the detriment in that and that they're they're older they're you know not exactly on the upswing of their careers but they do have the experience to come in step in and hopefully steady the ship. That's something the Hornets are not going to necessarily have. You do have the upside with a lot of these young guys where there are some really talented players, but it's just a big unknown. So to say, hey, if you know injuries were to hit the Hornets again in this season at any one point in time, you can just plug in one of the many rookies or second year players who have very limited experience and things should be fine. That's not an assumption most people are going to make. All that being said, I am also higher on the Hornets than most of the experts seem to be. I got them somewhere between 41 and 44 wins as a, as a reasonable, I think, projection. I certainly think it could go higher if they can stay healthy longer and, you know, if they get the right kind of breaks. But where am I comfortable putting it as a guess right now? I'd say in the low 40s is a reasonable range. Now, one kind of add-on, I mean, Rob kind of triggered this thought in my mind, best month and toughest month for the Hornets based off the schedule that's out there. I'll go to Sam first on this one. Sam, what month in the calendar do you see as the Hornets' Best opportunity to rack up wins and which month is the most difficult.
2: I do believe the back half of the schedule towards March is very home heavy. And that's kind of what it's been. It was it was last year. Um it just traditionally, for whatever reason, they always seem to be playing a lot of home games in March and the end of April. I want to say eight of the last thirteen and something like twenty-five of the second forty two. So not necessarily like the half in the sense of the all-star game, but of the second forty two games of the season, twenty-five of them are at home. So I think the more times you know, you get towards the end of the season, you get up to game six, 70, game 75 I and mean, that's when injuries start taking a toll playing a lot of high intensity games particularly i think there's a lot of eastern conference opponents down the stretch so those are the games you want to have at home if you can minimize the travel minimize some of that fatigue that's where you want to kind of take advantage of, the, of that little string so i would say maybe march i think in the sense of not necessarily the easiest month but certainly one advantageous if you know obviously the ultimate goal is the playoffs you take advantage of those march games you know you can put yourself in a really good position
1: i see where you're going i definitely think it's an opportunity but that said you look at some of the teams the Hornets are going to host. They're going to host Brooklyn, Boston, Dallas, Atlanta, the Knicks, Utah, Denver. So yes, they're at home, and in some of those cases, the teams they're playing are going to be on the the wrong end of a back-to-back. For me, the the month I think is most favorable to them, just because of the quality opponents there, is February. Because like March, there are some more home games, but you're not necessarily playing Brooklyn and Boston on the back-to-back. The three times there is a back-to-back, they all involve either Cleveland or Detroit who are not expected to be world beaters this year so I think February in terms of the win percentage might be the best opportunity for the Hornets in this upcoming schedule at least as we look at it now a month before they even lace them up for a preseason game Rob where do you see the best month potentially for the Hornets?
0: So I mentioned that I had it at November just because I had it at 10 and 6. And I know that that includes a West Coast swing and some Western Conference opponents. That's what caught my eye. They're going to go
1: play the Lakers and Clippers on a back-to-back at Staples, but that's the best month.
0: Yeah, but at the end of the schedule, you know, they're still on the road, but they're at Atlanta, at Washington, at Orlando, home against Minnesota, and then you go out and play Houston and then you're at Chicago. So some of those games are very winnable. February was the second best month. I had them at 7 and 5, kind of. like you mentioned had a 5 game winning streak in there as well right before the all-star break to try to carry some momentum but i do think that the beginning of the schedule is going to be a little bit difficult i had them at 3 and 4 in october and then you know a little bit better in november obviously with that 10 and 6 mark so and then i think march and april even though those games are at home the quality of opponents are definitely going to be a challenge as well for the hornets and you know as we saw last year too with injuries starting to mount up towards the end of the season you just never know and again a lot of this is all depending on injuries if the team is able to stay healthy because as we saw with Phoenix last season you know they were probably the healthiest team all year long and they made a run all the way to the NBA Finals so you know sometimes it's better to be lucky than good and I'm not saying that the Suns weren't good because they were a great team but they got really fortunate with avoiding very big injuries
1: Quickly the toughest month I'll start this one I think December shapes up to be the toughest month another long West Coast road trip those are always difficult plus on the home schedule you've got a back to back featuring the Philadelphia 76ers not not only is it back to back games against the reigning regular season Eastern Conference champions, but game one of it is a Hornets back-to-back. Very, very difficult schedule in terms of what's on the calendar, visits to Milwaukee, Atlanta, Indiana, as well as the Western Conference road trip. But Hornets handled the Western Conference trip well last year. So this is, you know, by no means an impossible feat, but it is very difficult in terms of how you compare it to other months on the calendar. Rob, most difficult month.
0: I probably are Rob Rules in a here? No, you can go I was going to say I'll probably go with December just because you mentioned that road trip. And it's right before Christmas, too. I mean, you got to keep in mind, too, you know, everybody wants to get home for the holidays and that sort of thing. plays a little bit of a factor in well, it as Dallas
1: well. is a week and a half
0: before the before well, you, Christmas. just December in general. I mean, you're on this big, I, lengthy road trip. You know, I if you're a procrastinator ske- like me and you don't buy your Christmas presents until the last second, a little bit difficult to do it on the road, but I, thank goodness for Amazon.
1: Thank you for that reminder for me because I'm going to have to factor that into my uh-huh. gift buying. But, uh, I mean, I thought the schedule makers were pretty kind in terms of holiday Hornets are home for Thanksgiving. They're home on Christmas Day. They're home on New New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. I thought from a holiday perspective, it did well. Now, for me personally, gave me no help with my anniversary, but that's neither here nor there. Sam, most difficult, most challenging month on the
2: calendar. Yeah, I'm going to have to echo and say December, too. Just looking quickly at it, you only have four home games out of, it looks like 12 or 13 total games. Two of them are against Philadelphia um, in a row. And then, just, it always seems like Every time the Hornets go on that midwe or uh, sort of that mountain trip when you go to Portland, you go to Denver, you go to Utah. Obviously, Phoenix is very, very good right now. You're dealing with the changing in altitudes in Denver and Utah. Those have just been really, really hard places for the Hornets to play. It seems like whenever they do their West Coast trips, they do one, which is all the California teams, and they do the other one, which is the Phoenix, Portlands, Denvers, Utahs. And it's just a challenge going to altitude, coming out of altitude. And like that's just that's a really long one too. But I do think it's interesting that both those West Coast trips are done before christmas i think last year although the season was a little different they were kind of sandwiched around the all-star break i think they did one right before the all-star break and they played three home games here and then went out back out west and that was when i think the injury started to mount. When i think was the triple and got hurt so i'll say december it's good that rob is kind of looking out for these guys making sure they give the alert about the shopping you have until december 12th i guess if you're hornets unless you're gonna do everything online and in that case it's easy but um, that is a long road trip and you know six games is lengthy especially for any road trip let alone alone want when you're playing this kind of quality of teams. True. And if anyone
1: has any ideas on what I need to buy as an anniversary gift, since I will be working on my anniversary, not saying when it is, but Feel free to send some suggestions our way. All right, so it it seems like we're in a consensus here. We all think the Hornets will go over the projections. How far above and beyond? There's a little bit of a a range given there, but uh, above 500 record probably makes this team very competitive for a playoff spot. All right, a couple more topics left to talk about on this edition of the Hornets Hivecast. We're going to talk top play. The tournament is up right now and running uh, via Hornets social media. Who are our picks for best assist, dunk, three, and clutch play from last season? We'll talk about. about him next here on the Hornets Hivecast.
2: Be sure to check out the Hornets Fan Shop at Spectrum Center. Now open Thursday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Check out all the newest Hornets gear or grab a new pair of Jays. It's an easy trip on the light rail, or you can shop from the comfort of your own home 24-7 at hornetsfanshop.com. Sam
1: Farber, Sam Hurley, and Rob Longo here with you on the HHC, and we're moving on to the Top Play Tournament. If you've been keeping up with the Hornets on social media, you've seen we've been doing a Top Play play tournament from the 2020-2021 season, so we're going to dive into that topic here today. Top assists, top dunks, top threes, and top clutch plays from the last season. Keep in mind, you probably have been voting and you can continue to vote on your picks throughout this uh, social media competition bracket, whatever you want to call it. One caveat for, for what we are doing today, just like the social media one, we are not including players who are no longer on the Hornets. So as much as we love these players and some of their performances and guys like Devontae Grandma Leek Monk, Cody Zeller, they are not factoring in to our decisions here. So just putting that out there let's start with top three from the 2020 2021 season and i'm gonna go to rob longo to lead it off your top three from last campaign
0: well full disclaimer too we predetermined no rob rules in the segment because we all have a pretty good consensus on one of the topics which we will get to here in a few seconds but that's fair the top three for me personally was Lamelo's spinning three in the corner against the raptors first time that we had a fuller hive than we had this season ball comes in LaMelo with the pump fake spin around nothing but net Thomas cuts
1: inside tries to make a pass and PJ Washington picks it off behind the back dribble to get free Washington to the corner for ball ball head fakes the three spin move now he'll fire off the deep ball got it
0: Hornets were just absolutely on fire from the three-point line in that game I remember they raced out to this massive leave in the first quarter and it was just nothing could go wrong for the Hornets so you know just having that LaMelo three in that sequence of three-pointers in the entire game is one of my favorite moments from this past season.
2: Sam Purley, best three from last season. The LaMelo spin is actually a nominee, by the way. I'm looking at the list now, so it did make the cut after a couple others got crossed off. My top one is kind of one maybe not necessarily as memorable. About a minute left May 1st at home against the Detroit Pistons. Terry Rogier, I think shot clock's winding down. Might have been a three-point lead, something like that. Pistons player knocks the ball away. Terry goes and has to kind of retrieve from half court, fires up sort of a desperation three-pointer from way far out, drains it and just one of those moments that Terry had so many of this year that no matter, you know, that the Terry, time the clutch time Terry performances no matter what he's putting up in that final 90 seconds 60 seconds it was going to go in and it was a really I don't think he necessarily expected it to go in just because it was such a desperation shot but I think it was one that basically won the team a game that they really needed to have down that last stretch of the season
1: one-on-one with Killian Hayes Drives right side. Up with a right-hand runner. Stewart spikes it away. Rozier recovers. One on the shot clock. Let's it fly. Yes! Terry Rozier! 32-footer! Yeah, Terry Rozier had a a few of those. I'm thinking back to there was one against San Antonio that he had, final two minutes that won him a game or or put them up late that uh, eventually won him the game. Uh, One of my favorites, though, I just love these plays because it speaks to their competitive nature, but the half-court heave that Terry Rozier had in the win over the Warriors. He had the game-winner later on, obviously, as well, and needed some help from Draymond Green, but they don't get there unless he has what's kind of a a miracle shot, but again, it kind of speaks to the mentality of a Terry Rozier. And in a year where, even though there were a lot of threes, I can't think of one off the top of my head that from Terry that was necessarily a buzzer beater game winner. I know there were a lot of really clutch plays, and the game winner he had in that one was a two, so it wouldn't count towards this conversation. So I'll go with the half-court heave from Terry Rogier. Is there anywhere missing,
2: Sam? The other nominee was Miles so there's only four per category, just as a disclaimer. The other one that we had was Miles Buzzerbeater at the end of the third quarter against the Boston Celtics at home, April 25th. I want to say the Celtics might have been Marcus Smart dribbling up court. There's about five seconds left. He, I think he tried to draw a foul. Miles blocked it or stole it, took a couple steps and just fired it off. And that was, I think, one game where, I don't know about you, but that was the one game we'll look back on. That was probably the best game the Hornets played all season, end to end against a really good team where everything was just clicking in that three-point shot right at the end of the third to stretch the lead from maybe like 12 to 15 was really kind of okay they had it that night so that's the other nominee for that one
1: let's go to the next one and that is going to be best assist of the year sam Purley, you're next up in the rotation
2: so i went for the same game actually versus detroit may 1st it was a very Highlight-worthy game, apparently. LaMelo Ball's first game back from injury. The full court underhand pass that he must have been, I don't know how many feet it was to the under, end of the court. I think it was to miles. Just one of those things that you can watch NBA for 20 years and you just never seen something like that where guys throwing a like the basketball like a softball towards the end of the court as an assist and just to kind of see those plays I mean you could watch that 20 times and, and still enjoy it every single time so I think that was my favorite assist of the year and it was just I think it was really cool because I know LaMelo had a couple of those this year but coming back from injury and just to see he still had kind of that same flair that same spark I think it was really cool to see in that first game back like oh yeah he still got that touch
1: my pick not as crisp of a pass as that one but it's just a, a play that really stood out to me Hornets versus the Sacramento Kings Hornets in a away in this one. This is the home version of it. Obviously, the road one was a miraculous finish, and incredible game, but the Hornets had been trailing Sacramento most of the fourth quarter, and then Gordon Hayward has a, a tip on the defensive side. Ball ends up with Terry Rozier, and airborne he has to adjust and throw the ball up court for Gordon Hayward, who had just enough of a head start to dunk on top of De'Aaron Fox for a great and one. I'm going to go with that as best assist of the year, although I'm a little disappointed in myself that I didn't come up with something with LaMelo Ball, because everything that Rookie did was so special, but that really seemed to be an iconic play to me. It stands out in my mind, so I'm going to go Terry for a second time here with the assist to Gordon Hayward and that win over the Kings.
0: The LaMelo one that was from 80-some feet, I mean, obviously that one was just, I don't want to use the word unbelievable because if it happened, it's believable, but that one was pretty close to being unbelievable just because of the circumstances with you know coming back from injury like Sam mentioned and that sort of thing, but the other one I did enjoy was it got pitted against that pass was the LaMelo behind the back to Miles Bridges coming down the lane just because of the style points and the way that that play finished with Bridges throwing a two-handed tomahawk down. That one was pretty unique too just because it just looks so fluid. I mean it just comes so natural to LaMelo and that was probably one of my favorite passes as well on top of the one it just, you know, a little flick of the wrist 80 feet down the court, and, you know, right on the button for Miles Bridges to lay in.
1: Let's just go to clutch plays and uh, I'll lead this one off. Clutch play of the year to me I gotta go with the Terry year shot over the Warriors. I think it's just one of those iconic moments. It was really the occasion that clutch
0: time became Terry time. Rob, your best clutch play of the season. Obviously, the Terry one stands out, but I think the other one that I really enjoyed was Lamelo ball late in the season against the Detroit Pistons on the road. It was coming down the stretch. I can't quite remember if the Hornets were up or down, but it was a very it was a one possession game, and Lamelo deflected the inbounds, the inbound pass. La play ball swipes it, steals it to Rozier, three on one Rozier to McDaniel's for the throwdown. Oh, what a look! The bravura of Lamelo ball. Not only was it a clutch moment in time, but that to me w- was kind of when LaMelo wrapped up rookie of the year, that play right there.
2: I'm going to go with Terry as well, just because, I mean, there's only maybe a handful of true buzzer beaters in the league every year, and to see one at home, two parts of this are kind of crazy. Just the sequence leading up to it, because the, the Warriors had the two-point lead, they got the offensive rebound, somebody batted LaMelo might have batted it away, there's the tie-up, then you have the jump ball and the technical fouls and the free throws. I mean, you'll never see a crazier ending to a game, and you're life and then to see that happen and to kind of look around and see that nobody's in the crowd for it I mean this amazing great sort of just emotional you know fueled moment and nobody's there to see it I think was the perfect encapsulation of this just wild 2020-21 season so happy to go with Terry and I also agree the I, the lamello steal I think is kind of an underrated and I think it kind of gets lost a little bit but just the anticipation the timing it's one of those plays you look at and you're like okay that's what makes him so special is he can do things like like that and that was another one that actually kind of made the consideration was just everything about it is like there's not a whole lot of guys in the league that can make this kind of play and read this well so but yeah I think the runaway for me is Terry against Golden State
1: I would throw out as just an honorable mention the win at Orlando Gordon Hayward taking it down to the bucket I thought that one stood out as a, a moment where it wasn't just okay Gordon Hayward is a great player who can put up big numbers for this team but he's still got that it factor in terms of decision making in the clutch and he also had a hand in a couple others where he didn't take the final shot to get an assist to Terry Rogier on a late game winner. He. Being healthy for this team is going to be the key to uh, Charlotte having many, many more of these types of moments. And just because I think it's going to be fast dunk of the year, we all in agreement. Miles Bridges over Clint Capella. That's yes, it. Yes,
0: I will. Can I throw in an honorable mention? <laughs> sure. The Terry Rozier dunk over yes. Kevin Durant, just because you know Terry isn't the tallest guy in the world, and he's going against a guy like Durant. That's got to be a close second. And now that I'm thinking about it, a close third as well. Gordon Hayward over De'Aaron Fox to kind of seal the deal at home against Sacramento. That was. There a were good a lot dunk. of good dunks. But, I mean, if, even if you exclude. Mike Miles Bridges, because every Miles Bridges dunk is highlight worthy as well. Miles
2: Bridges over Clint Capella? I think I will go with that, yes. And it's actually funny that Gordon Hayward dunk against the Kings could go into a number of categories because we actually had it in clutch moments as well. You had it for assists and it could go in for dunks. So that's the kind of the rare one. The only thing is obviously can't factor into threes. Bridges it was a three point, point play. play. It was a three point play. Maybe we, yeah, we could bend the rules. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go edit it now, just because he did make that free throw afterwards. But um yeah, the Miles Clink Capella, I mean, that was one where you see a lot of criticism crazy dunks watching the nba but that was one that you look at it and you're just like wow there's dunks and then there's something like that like just the form of it i mean watched it the photos and the videos of it. i mean that that was absolutely insane you know a dunk you might see once a season maybe in the nba as a whole let alone here in your own building
1: final question was it the play of the year sam
2: i still got to go with the terry game winner just overall, just because, I mean, that won the game and I think kind of loss in the excitement of that miles play, which we've talked a lot about a lot, is the Hornets didn't win that game. They lost to Atlanta. I think that dunk gave them a five point lead and they couldn't really close the deal towards the end. But I think I got to go with Terry just because I, I think it's hard to beat a game winning jump shot that. Buzzer sounds, shot goes in, and sort of the jubilation, the celebration. I think it's really hard to to beat a moment like that, in my opinion.
0: Rob, play of the year. Sam got me thinking because I was gonna go with the Miles Bridges dunk, but I would probably go with it if the Hornets ended up winning that game, just because of that factor. But yeah, the sequence with Terry ear because again, he had to hit those two foul shots to make it a game winner. I mean, if he misses them, it's still a tie ball game. If he makes that buzzer beater at the end of the regulation and then you're going to overtime and then you don't know what happens. So, you know, the fact that it was Terry goes to the line, hits two foul shots, doesn't really know what the play is coming out of the huddle because he just knows that he's getting the ball and he's able to make it happen. So yeah, you got to go with Terry Rozier. I think you're both nuts. I think it's the Miles Bridges dunk. You can throw out
1: the result of the game. Obviously, you kind of have to for for this, but it's such an iconic play. It rippled throughout the entire NBA. Even non-sports fans, it is such an amazing, incredible dunk. The Feat of athleticism that was on display there. Not to take away from any of the other plays that we've talked about, but to me, that was the play of the season. That was the moment that I think most fans and most of the players, if you had to say what was the the moment of the season, that's the one that they would bring up. So I'll, I'll, if you're going to leave it for me, I'll take it. Miles Bridges dunk over Clint Capella, play of the year.
2: So you just look at it kind of in a vacuum of just the play itself and what transpired in terms of the visuals of it as opposed to because if you look at just terry's shot and you there's no clock and you don't put it in the actual context of the situation it's just a jump shot but how you measure it is you look strictly so i guess we're seeing this from two i
1: think it is so good it is such an incredible unbelievable it's the best dunk i have ever seen in my life it's so good, yes. It supersedes game-winning buzzer-beater, one-in-a-billion type wow. of sequences that Terry Rogier was in. It's that good of a dunk. So, yes, I'm, I'm giving it to Miles Bridges. Speaking of whom, I'm a little upset with the NBA world for not giving Miles enough love here. There's a few areas in which I think Miles Bridges, and that dunk in particular, is not getting enough respect. We're going to talk about that next here on the Hornets I've Cast.
2: Hornets fans, the buzz is building. For season ticket packages for the 2021-2022 season, call 704-HORNETS or visit hornets.com to chat live with a season ticket representative. Lock in your price today. Sam
1: Farber, Rob Longo, and Sam Perley here with you on the HHC. We're in our uh, off-season stretch here, gentlemen, just a few weeks away from the start of training camp and then the regular season. And once we get back into the regular season, about you know mid to late October, we will be back to daily podcasts. So don't worry, you're going to get plenty of Hornets Hivecast starting up in, a, what, about six weeks here? But for now, weekly hopefully is uh, tining you over as we prepare for the 2021 20. 2022 season speaking of which uh, preparations have already begun or well underway for nba 2k 22 and also as we look back towards the 2020 2021 season a lot of lists are coming out not just from the hornets on play of the year but nationally and so in both directions looking back and looking forward i think one hornet superstar is not getting nearly enough love and that would be Miles Bridges. I just said it last segment. I thought his dunk over Clint Capella was the play of the year for the Hornets certainly it had to be the dunk of the year, in my opinion, for the entire NBA. But NBA.com just had their uh, list, or NBA Twitter, or which some combination of the two, had their best dunks of the season. And although Miles Bridges was in the top 10 twice, I believe the only player who was, he did not get dunk of the year. They went with the rookie Anthony Edwards, dunking over Utah Watanabe of the Toronto Raptors. An exceptional dunk. Exceptional play. But I don't think, both in terms of the reaction worldwide in terms of who they dunked over and just the outright difficulty of the play it comes anywhere close to Miles Bridges. I'll rant on this all day, I'm sure, but Sam Perley, am am I right to feel aggrieved here that Miles Bridges lost out to Anthony Edwards?
2: Yes, of course. And my take on it is obviously I'm going to go with Miles, but this is something, I look at it, if Anthony Edwards, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, and I don't know what the rules of dunks are and interpretations of it, I think Anthony Edwards has to land on his feet. In order for it to count, I think you have to finish the dunk. If Anthony Edwards lands on his feet, I think it's a runaway. Number one, but I think you got to finish it. Is that I don't know if that's a thing necessarily. Do people think it? I just look at it and I think you sort of completing the whole act. I think it's kind of a weird opinion I have, but I think if you you got to land on your feet, you got to finish the dunk. I think if he lands it, if he finishes on his feet hands down number one but i think miles you look at the total package you look at the visuals of it obviously like who went over over one of the best centers in the league i think that is the point right there
1: both dunks you've got great elevation great hops great athleticism all that stuff but one of them is on one of the top 10 shot blockers in the nba and the other is on for at this point in time a journeyman you know non-starting player in Utah Watanabe, who I really like. He went to my alma mater, George Washington University. I'm a big fan of his. I'm rooting for him. But dunking on top of Utah Watanabe is not the same thing as dunking on top of Clint Capella, never mind the fact that Utah Watanabe was kind of late rotating over, so he never really had a chance to block the shot, whereas Clint Capella is standing in front of the basket. Miles has to jump over him. I'm taking all of Rob's points, I'm sure. Rob, am I right? I have a right and deserve to be aggrieved here.
0: Yes. Thank you. You do. You do. Yeah. I I will validate you. But no, I mean, I was thinking about this segment. I was like, well, maybe this is just kind of a participation trophy for Anthony Edwards since he missed out on Rookie of the Year. But I didn't want to go that route. He he didn't lose it. (laughs) LaMelo LaMelo won it. it. Yeah. LaMelo won it. I didn't want to harp on Anthony Edwards while he was down. But yeah, I mean, because if you're just thinking about the dynamic of the Miles dunk, I mean, that looked like something that you saw on Slam Ball back in like the early 2000s where it was just like, you're going to take off from the three point line and meet him at the rim. And the fact that it was just so even, like you mentioned, and there wasn't any rotation or anything like that, where it was Clint going up saying, I'm stopping you and Miles saying, I don't think so, hold my lunch, and just crams on him, I mean... You know, that's why I think Miles gets Dunk of the Year or should have Dunk of the Year in the eyes of the NBA. But again, maybe it's just a participation trophy for Anthony Edwards since, you know, LaMelo swept him in the Rookie of the Year.
1: Well, looking back, I think uh, there is reason to be upset about the disrespect to Miles Bridges. And looking forward, I feel the same way. NBA 2K comes out with all kinds of different ratings for different player ability categories. They also come out with overall ratings, and it's fun to see where players match up against players from their own country, their own draft class, their own whatever. One stat that stood out to a lot of Hornets fans was the dunk rating and the absence from the top five of one Miles Bridges. I don't think he necessarily has to be number one, although he would get my vote, but the fact that he's not in the top five is quite upsetting. Here is the top five from what we saw from 2K. I don't know if they've updated this since Sam Pearlie, but Zion Williamson was The best dunk rating at 97. Then two players at 95, Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon. And then 94s for Derek Jones Jr. and John Morant. I think at the very least, Miles Bridges has to be top four here. Rob, I'll spin it to you first. Where should Miles Bridges have been on the dunk chart? Is it an absolute insult that he's not in the top five?
0: Well, yeah. So I actually did some research on this. So in 2K21, so last year's version, Miles was a 91 dunking. That put him at 14. So he was on par with Giannis and LeBron in terms of the dunk rating that they gave him. The people ahead of him last year, Cassius Stanley, Gerald Green, Donovan Mitchell, Hamadou Diallo, John Collins, Derek Jones Jr., Andrew Wiggins, John Morant, Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine, and then Zion Williamson was at 97. So you're trying to tell me that John Morant's a 94 dunking and he's the fifth best player in 2K22 dunk-wise and Miles didn't go up three points? Like, come on. Come
2: on, that's, I'm going to leave it at that. Sam Perley, I'm impressed with the research. That's really good. I would say, just looking at that top five, do Zach Levine, I'm just playing devil's advocate, do Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon, you know, they're different players now than they were in the dunk contest when they had those great dunk contest battles a few years ago. Are they still getting a little bit? Are they permanently 95s, even though they haven't, that's not really necessarily part of their games anymore. At least for Zach Levine, he's much more kind of a shooter and a score than he is kind of a pure dunker than when he came in the league. I mean, Miles obviously, I think, has to be in the top five. I mean, he was... What player in the league last year had more consistent, highlight-worthy dunks than Miles Bridges? I mean, he's also been in the dunk contest. So hopefully... I know it's one of these things. I think they deliberately put the ratings low to get people up in arms and get people well, it works. talking about. Yeah, it seems to be working. It's working in this, the, the podcast studio right now, but it gets people talking about the game. Um, I think the ratings are, is any NBA player ever out there happy with his rating? You know, I think Zion probably wants to be higher in this dunk thing. You know, John Moran, they all want to be higher. Every guy wants to be a 99. If they're not a 99, they're being disrespected. And, you know, the game, you know, is a mess. So, but just in a personal sense, yeah, Miles absolutely needs to be in that top five. I just think it's it's a no brainer. But thankfully, they can update the ratings in season. So maybe throw down a couple highlight highlights at the beginning of the year and kind of get that up into that next notch. I mean, how many more does he need? I, I, with, with Zion, I I kind of get it. I mean, he is he's
1: such a young and explosive player, and he's so big to begin with. If you're saying from if dunk rating is not necessarily the spectacular nature of the dunks, just what are the odds that you will dunk over anyone standing in front of you? Okay, maybe, maybe Zion Williamson deserves a little just for his ability to you know, go through players as well as go over them as a bigger body, if not one of the biggest bodies in the NBA. I agree with you on Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon. Maybe they're getting some extra credit for being former slam dunk champions and still having that you know, above the rim ability, although maybe lessened from when they were really at their peak, but still, they're they're fantastic athletes. Derek Jones Jr., he is a former slam dunk champion, so maybe that's giving him the extra credit. And John ja Morant, also very young, also very explosive, maybe that's giving him extra credit. But for all of them to be rated ahead of Miles Bridges, after the year he just put forth I think is a bit much but uh, we, we all have teal colored glasses in this building so maybe that's factoring in as well if you are aggrieved out there feel free to chime in hit us up at Hornets at Sam Farber live at any of our Twitter handles and uh, let us know what you think where should Miles Bridges have been in the dunk rating for NBA 2K in the future as well as the dunk rating by NBA.com from last season and feel free to go to Hornets social media pages to give your votes for top plays as well. We'd love to have you contribute to that. Alright, that's going to do it for this edition of the Hornets Hivecast. Look forward to talking to you again next week. We'll see what comments creep into our uh, Twitter feeds and whatnot, and look forward to talking much more Hornets basketball as we build up towards the 2021- 2022 season. Tickets are available now. Go to Hornets.com. Regular season is less than 50 days away. Till next time, for Rob Longo and Sam Perley, I'm Sam Farber saying it's been a pleasure and a privilege having you with us, and we'll talk to you next time here on the Hornets Hivecast. Thanks for listening to the Hornets
0: Hivecast. For more coverage, visit Hornets.com.